Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Hey, take your Bible in your hand, would you? How many of you have a hardback Bible? Hold it up. Come on. Look at you guys. This is amazing. How many of you have a Bible like me? It's electronic. Yeah. All right. All right. Hold your Bible up just for a second. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, give me ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now say this. I receive it. And I not only receive it, I'm going to apply it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man. I got an interesting title for my message this morning. That's not it, but hey, that's a good idea. Um, the title of my message is, God Will Outlast Any Season. God Will Outlast Any Season. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you are dog lovers in here? How many dog lovers do I have? Okay. Now, how many cat lovers do I have? Any cat lovers in here? Whoa, some cat lovers. Come on. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so we have two dogs. And Nicole, um, I, I, I told her, I said, listen, I know, I know the government's going to send us a stimulus check, but I'd like to do something for you. I'd like to buy you a bike. You need a faster bike. Because she had one of these older bikes, and, and, and I felt bad because she's pedaling nonstop, and I'm like coasting for most of the time, you know, because those newer bikes, the nicer bikes, you know, they go faster. Anyway, and so I said, I'd like to get you a bike. So I bought her a bike, and we went on a bike ride, and man, I'm, Lance, I'm telling you, she did amazing. She didn't have to push her bike up any of the hills. She was able to get up and over them, did a great job. And so we get home, and so Nicole's first in the shower, and I'm in the bedroom, and I see that big box fan that's on. And, it, you know, it, was, it was, wasn't too warm yesterday, but it was a, I was a little warm. And so I laid down in front of the box fan, right? Well, my dog, uh, one of my dogs is Oliver Bean. He's a wire fox terrier, so he's about 15 pounds. And then we have Freddie. Freddie was supposed to be a miniature doodle. Yeah, he's 80 pounds, miniature doodle. And so we were lied to. We were totally lied to on that deal. But, I mean, how can you predict, you know? Well, you look at the paws. That's what you do. You look at the paws. If he's got paws like a lion, he's going to be massive. Anyway, sorry. How'd I get up? All right. So I'm laying there in front of the fan, and here comes Freddie. And Freddie's never seen me lay down in front of the fan, and I think he's like going, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And he starts, you know, kind of licking me and saying, you know, just kind of, is everything all right? You know, because you're breathing heavy. You know, no, I'm, I'm okay, Freddie. You know, or, or I'm sorry, Oliver, it's, it's, we're okay. And then Freddie comes over. Now, Freddie's he's younger, okay? So he's got the squirrel mentality. Squirrel, squirrel, you know, he's pew, pew. And so he comes over, and he's like, are you feeling okay? Because he's a big guy, you know. Are you feeling okay, you know? Yeah, I'm good, Freddie. And so, oh, is that something on your face? And he starts licking my face, thinking I got, you know, something. Anyway, and so I'm laying, I'm in front of this fan, and I'm feeling the, there's a point to this story. There, I'm feeling the breeze, the airflow, oh, feels wonderful. Until Freddie decides to lay on my foot, my foot and a part of my leg 
in front of the fan. Wind is gone. I mean, he's 80 pounds. No breeze coming through there, right? And so Freddie is blocking the, blocking the wind. Do you know this is what the enemy does? Sometimes, sometimes he, can flow, he can block the flow that God has going on in our lives, right? And so we got to learn how to get the 80-pound beast out of the way so that we can experience the flow again, right? And so that's what I'm believing for this morning, that you're going to experience some flow in here. How many of you want to experience some flow? Glory to God. So have you found 2 Corinthians chapter 4 yet? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So two things on that second verse that I see standing out. For our, notice he calls affliction, your affliction, my affliction, he calls it light. So no matter what you're going, because believe me, I know already your fish is bigger than mine. Did somebody asked me, how did you do this? What did you do? You know, you probably see this mark on my arm yesterday. And so I, you know, well, I just got a little scuff on my arm. You know, well, so somebody shows you, this is just an example. This didn't happen yesterday, okay? But let, this is an example. You know, oh man, that looks really bad. I don't even know how I got it, okay? I honestly don't even remember. But it's there. And so somebody else tells you, oh, well, man, you should have seen one time. And they start telling their fish story. Everybody's fish is bigger, isn't it? Their affliction is bigger than your affliction, right? But Jesus said, but God is saying this to us through Paul, your light affliction is but for a moment. How many of you know we've been going through a season? Let me tell you, last week was the first week that we were back in church after six weeks. Six weeks of wondering, what in the world is this? What in the world is going on? No one has ever experienced anything like this. You know, you call, uh, you, you call mentors, you call other pastors, and, and I'm saying, hey, uh, so what are you guys doing? Well, you know, we don't, this is all new to us too. You know, it's not like you can call somebody that has walked through a situation like this. Now, first of all, the word pandemic, don't let that scare you. All that means is that it went from one continent to the other. That's all that word means, okay? Because some people get frightened by that word for some reason. But we've been through a season. And notice that he says the season is but for a moment. It ends. You might be going through another season in your life. You might be going through some things in your life. But I'm here to tell you they have an expiration date. It's temporary. It's going to end. But how many of you know that when you're in that season, there's peaks and there's valleys in the season, aren't there? Man, it's like, you know, doing real great. And man, wow, frustration, isolation, disappointment, discouragement down here. Well, let's talk about this in the light of peaks and seasons. Let's talk about this in the light of David. David's life is interesting to me. It's oftentimes when people talk about David, they talk about two things. What do they talk about? Goliath and Bathsheba. 
Those are the two things they want to talk about with David's life. But the interesting thing about David is there is so much more to his story. And you think about David. Let's talk about the peaks of David. All right. Peaks in his life. He is anointed king. That had to be weird. Israel already has a king. Wouldn't that be weird? And then you're watching your dad's sheep and you're pulled. You aren't even invited to the dinner anyway. But your father sends somebody to come and get you. We need you here. And you get there. And then Samuel, the leader of the nation, who anointed Saul king, anoints you and says, king of Israel. Huh? Peak, right? So he's anointed king. Well, then what happens? Now he's invited by Saul's servant to come and play guitar for Saul. Because now that Saul is not, no longer walking with God, there's a spirit that is tormenting him, right? And so he comes and he plays guitar. He plays his instrument and the spirit vanishes. High point. Here's the high point. Saul calls his, sends message to his father and says, please let me keep David. He is so, I'm so pleased with him. Makes him one of his armor bearers. Now David is gone from watching sheep to in the palace. Peak. Right? And then he kills Goliath, another peak in his life. Okay, well, I want you to notice something. You've read the Psalms. How many of you have read the book of Psalms? How many of you have read Psalms 119? Be honest, all the way through. Wow, okay. Man, that's a long, that's a long chapter. How many of you have read the whole book all the way through? Good for you. We got some Bible readers in here. That's awesome. Okay, so how many of you remember when you read the Psalms, you read about David killing Goliath, you read about him being anointed king of Israel, you read about him, did you, are there very many Psalms about that? What are all the Psalms written about? Man, the opportunities, the challenges in his life, the struggles that he was going through. Okay, maybe, so let's look at some of those. Here's some valleys. Okay, Saul, he gets jealous, right? They come back from killing Goliath. They're coming into the city. Man, this great victory has happened. They have, they have defeated the Philistines. They defeated this giant, and they come into town, and the women come out singing and dancing and playing the tambourines. By the way, please don't bring a tambourine, you know. <laughs> please don't bring a tambourine in here. Yeah, well, you can love them at home. Don't love them here. So, so anyway, this isn't a discussion. So anyway, so, so I'm sorry. So they come out singing, and what happens? They sing, David, or Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Saul goes, wait a minute. They have ascribed only a thousands to me, and they've ascribed tens of thousands to David. And then he began to look at David with a jealous eye, right? He begins to be jealous over him. Now, all of a sudden, everything starts taking a turn in David's life. Now he's being watched. Now Saul is trying to kill him, tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. David has to move his family, his parents, to a foreign nation. Remember reading about this? You can go back and read about it. That, that when one of the rewards, you remember one of the rewards from King Saul was if you killed Goliath, you and your entire family won't have to pay taxes. Man, how awesome would that be? They don't have to pay taxes. But now David has to move his family out of the country. 
so that they'll be safe. And then on top of that, now he's running from Saul. He's living in caves, living in the wilderness. He's constantly moving because he doesn't know where Saul's going to be next. Right? All of these things are happening. And then finally, he moves to a foreign country himself. And he says, so Saul, quit chasing me. I'm going to move to a foreign nation. So he moves to the Philistines, right? And then he tries to go and fight with the Philistines against Israel. I would have loved to have seen how that was going to work out. Wouldn't you? Okay. So, and, and they told him, no, you can't fight with us. You're going to turn on us. And... So he comes back home. He and his men arrive at Ziklag. And what happened in Ziklag? It's burned. The wives are gone. The kids are gone. All of their stuff is gone. All of their livestock is gone. Everything that they own is gone. What are these things? These are valleys in David's life. Interesting is that the Psalms, many of the Psalms are about the valleys. Not the peaks. Why? Because in the valleys is where your greatest fight of faith is. When you're walking through the valley, that's when you need to stand in faith the most. So I'm going to give you a few things. um, Because you remember, he said your valleys are working for you in verse 17. Remember, this is working to your benefit. Right, so I want to give you some things this morning, understanding valley seasons. I'm going to give you some some ways to understand valley seasons. The first one is this, is that greatness is developed off stage. Greatness is developed off stage. It's what you do in the privacy of of your bedroom, in the privacy of your closet. It's what you do in private that produces what people see in public. David could not have killed Goliath in public until he first killed the lion and the bear in private. Right? Greatness. Listen, I want to, I want to read this to you because I wrote it. This is something that T.D. Jakes said. And I thought it was so interesting. He said this, greatness festers in isolation and frustration. Think about that. Greatness festers in isolation and frustration. It's in those times, those valleys of having to apply your faith, having to grow in faith, having to stand and having done all to stand, standing that your faith is increased. Those are the private times. I mean, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for ministry. Moses was over 80 before God saw that he was ready to lead his people out of Egypt. The next one, seasons are temporary. Seasons are temporary. Man, you say, Phil, I don't know, man. It just seems like this has been so long. Let me tell you, everything that you're looking at in the natural is temporary. I know, I know it may be hard to believe this, but, but at some point, someday, sometime in the future, there will no longer be a Walmart. Yeah, there will no longer be a McDonald's. Okay, yeah, getting personal here. Okay, let's read the next verse in that chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 18. It says, Why we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. 
Everything that we see is temporary. Let me tell you something. It was 16 years. There, there's, a different, there's a distance between being anointed and being appointed. From the preparation to the purpose. For David, it was 16 years. He was anointed king. How awkward. Somebody else is king. I'm being anointed king. 16 years later, he was appointed as king. So there was a distance there. Now, turn over to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. How many of you hanging with me? All right. So if you have difficulty finding Habakkuk, just go to the middle between the Old and New Testament and turn, start turning left, and you'll run into Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want to look at verse 2. It says this. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. That word tarry means take a long time. How many of you have been standing for something? You've been believing God for something and it has taken a long time and you're tarrying for it. Come on, come on. Well, keep standing. Keep standing because God will outlast that season. So look at Habakkuk. Turn back a page. Chapter 1. Look at verse 5. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In verse 5, he says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you did not believe, though it were told to you. What is that? That's vision for life. That's our motto as a church, vision for faith, for family, for community, vision for life. And so Habakkuk knew, he said, wait a minute, there's a vision for hope. The season is temporary. Look at your neighbors say the season is temporary. Come on. So the next one, the next one talking about understanding valley seasons is pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. Let me read to you another quote by T.D. Jakes. I thought it was so interesting. He said this. He said, you are broken, meaning you endure pain. You are broken in the right places, peaks and valleys, like a key, so that when you are put in the right lock, something will open for you. See, God uses the difficult things in our lives to open the door of potential and purpose that he has for us. I can look back in my life and go, dear God, what? all these things that you had me doing, all these different things, these different places where you put me, what am I even supposed to do? You know what I mean? Sometimes I look at other people's lives and, and, it, and sometimes you can romanticize. You know, say, say you take a person who's called to be a doctor and, and they go to school, they go to medical school, they get good grades in school so they can go to medical school, they get a scholarship, they go to medical school and they become a doctor. Pretty simple, right? And then I looked at my life and I thought, it is nowhere near that. I mean, I had all these things. But then God brought me to a place where I was doing something that incorporated all those things that I knew. What happened? I w the key fit. The lock. Man. Okay. So I'm I want to read something powerful to you. I'm going to pause for effect before I read it. All right. You ready? The devil believes in your potential more than you do. 
The devil believes in your potential more than you do. In fact, he's afraid of it. He is so afraid of the potential inside of you that he will do anything he can to pull the carpet out from under you, to kick your legs out from under you, to hit you low so that you won't fulfill the purpose that God has for you. See, the enemy has discovered that if he overloads people with pain, they will abandon the purpose. I'm a believer. Yeah, you are. But let me tell you, that's why the enemy is coming after you. But let me say this. If we let pain develop in us, though, the perseverance, it will launch us toward our destiny. And we will be using Satan's very tools against him. But how many of us lay down under the pain? And the persecution and the disappointment. And we lay down under all of the weight of, every, of everything that's going wrong in our lives. Man, I, I'm, I'm not wanting to use this quote yet, but I need to go ahead and say it. And that's this. Candy-coated Christians think that if something goes wrong, it's not God's will. Candy-coated Christians think if something goes wrong, it's not God's will. There are seasons that try our souls to the breaking point. It's in those seasons that God is showing us himself. But if we don't lean on him, we'll miss what he wants to show us. Man, 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 man. I'm going to say one more thing. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and join me here. You didn't bring the book? Okay. We'll do it another time. Love you. All right. All right. Well, I'm not going to ask my wife to come up (laughs) after all. So pain should be the wind beneath our wings. All right. We should let pain come. And like the wind that I was talking about that Freddie was blocking, it (laughs) it should blow up underneath our wings and we should take up like wings like eagles because that's what eagles do. They wait for the storm to roll in. And when the storm rolls in, how many of you remember, uh, was it yesterday that the wind started blowing? It was early in the morning. I had my window open, man, the wind was, whoosh, you know, and the wind chimes are chinging, you know, and, and you see the trees whipping back and forth and you're going, man, you know, so this is when the eagle would spread his wings. Why? Because it's going to push him up out of the nest, nest and he's going to fly way over the storm, and he's going to be looking down at the pain, at the disgust, at the disappointment, at the letdowns, and, and it's going to say from his heart, my God will outlast any season that I'm going through. But let me tell you, if you get down there with the pain, with the hurt, and you want to do battle down here, somebody said something mean to you, so you fire back. Somebody did something to you, so you do something back for them. Somebody was mean to you, so you want to make them pay for it. You know, if you're battling down here, you're, you're never going to spread your wings and get above the storm. Why? Because you're fighting in the natural. You are fighting a spiritual battle. And God is wanting to use this pain, this, this annoyance, this frustration 
this isolation that we've been in, <laughs> you know, for six ways or better. Some people are still in, you know, and to cause you to spread your wings. Man, it's time for us to rise up like the eagles that call, God has called us to be. That he has made us to be. He's created us to fly up over pain. The next one in understanding valley seasons is lean, learn to lean on him. How many of you remember the song? Come on. Bill Withers, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. Come on, guys, help me. Till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Yeah, good job. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> Let me say this. Valley seasons reveal what you are leaning on. The valley seasons reveal what you've been leaning on. If you're walking through frustration and pain and sorrow, are you leaning on that? Or are you deciding, God... I'm letting go. I'm leaning on you. Lord, thank you for carrying me. Thank you, Lord, that you help me spread my wings. Thank you, Lord, that your wind is pushing me up out of this nest, and I'm flying high over the storm. God, I thank you for it. I thank you, Jesus. Remember Isaiah 36? It, 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 Isaiah 36 referred to that, that Israel, Isaiah's talking about Israel trusting or leaning on Egypt. And Egypt is a broken reed that's going to pierce the hand if you lean on it. That's the way fighting in the natural is. That's, the, that, that's what it's like when you're trying to deal with your season from a natural standpoint. You're leaning, you're leaning on a broken reed. The next one, see, the, see past the pain. See past the pain. I love that scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. That's one of my favorite chapters. I mean, it's all amazing. But I love Hebrews chapter 12 where Jesus said I, he looked beyond the cross. It says, it says that he saw for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. What's the joy? You're kidding me. He had joy through that? That he was able to look beyond the pain, the stripes, the beating that he would endure, the cross and being crucified and all of the physical pain that he was going to endure. And you know what he saw? You guys, me. He saw us. He saw the veil in the temple being ripped in two, he saw us having direct communication with God. He saw the Holy Spirit coming and living on the inside of us. Come on, I'm getting excited. So valleys can be people, situations, circumstances, events which cause pain. And here's what is important for you to remember is that that pain becomes the, the gymnasium for your faith to work out in. Did you guys catch that? Because there was a lot of people moving during that. Let me say that again. All right. So all that pain becomes the gymnasium that your faith works out in. How can your faith work out if things are just good all the time? If everything is going perfect, 
how do you develop any faith? How do you develop muscles if you don't get in the gym and push some iron and rip some stuff so that you get ripped? (laughs) What happens? Your muscles tear. It's painful. And what happens with a lot of believers is it's more painful at the very beginning. I remember I didn't work out from 16 to 35. When I started working out after that first day of working out, and let me tell you, I went way easy. I mean, yeah, I'm in there with the hard bodies, with the 10-pounders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the 15s. I'm going to step up to the 15s. I look at the guy next to me. He's got the 75s. He looks over at me. (laughs) Doing the 15s. But you know what happened? Because my muscles were not used to it, because I I was pushing something I hadn't pushed in a long time, then my muscles ripped, and now I can't bend my arms past here. I literally woke up crying that night. In the middle of the night, I had a tear coming across my nose. But but what am I in? Man, I'm in, this is faith building, man. This is muscle building. Thank God, bless God. I had committed I was going to go through this. And you know what? The next day, I couldn't bend my arms past here. I sat in my office like this. I walked down the hall and, Phil, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing, I'm good. And, and what, you know, the guys knew. Some of the guys knew what was going on. So they'd come up and they'd poke me in my, in my chest muscle, man. Have you ever been poked when you were just so sore? You're, like, <laughs> you're going, don't, don't touch me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. But, and so this is where a lot of people are because the pain piles up. And the devil likes to use this pile-up technique because he knows that he can get some people to quit, to give up. And when you're in pain, you want to quit. You want to give up. But if you don't, you'll reap the benefit. And you know what? I didn't. I went back to the gym the next day, and it was even more embarrassing because I can't barely lift five, the fives. I mean, I'm just, you know what I mean? Why? Because my muscles were so torn. They were not used to this. My muscles were crying out to me saying, stop, stop, please. And that's what the pain is trying to get you to do. Your flesh is crying out. Please stop. Please stop. But I'm telling you, you'll develop amazing endurance and perseverance on the inside of you if you don't quit. Don't quit. Look at your neighbors. Say, don't quit. Oh, dear God, I'm, I'm way over here. Okay. Lord, what do you want me to do here? Hmm. Yeah, part two. It's probably going to be next week. <laughs> Nicole will bring her book. Okay. All right, let me finish. Let me finish this up and then... Worship band, go ahead and come. I mean, you're standing back there anyway. Go ahead and come on up. You're saying, Pastor Phil, when do you want us here? All right, so I don't believe Christians have to live with pain. Let's say a person says that. Well, consider, consider this symbol of our faith. A lot of people wear it around our neck. What is it? It's a cross. That's the emblem of our faith. Wait a minute. Some, some of us need to look at the cross and remember what was endured. Remember the pain, the sorrow, the valley of the cross, right? 
Because in order for there to be a covenant, blood has to come from something. Wow. Remember John chapter five, or Joshua chapter 5. Remember they were getting ready to come into the promised land. And so as they're coming into the promised land, God spoke to Joshua and he said, listen, you got to circumcise all these men. Yeah. And so as soon as they got across, they, he said, okay, God. And they obeyed. And all these men were circumcised. So this is what I propose to you. They're being circumcised because there was something that was in that last season that can't come into this new season, into the promised land. Something has to be cut away so that they can come in to this new season. Do you think possibly that this last six weeks, this season that we've endured of isolation, of, of obscurity, of you know, being in a place where it was a mandated pause in our life, do you think that God may be, bringing, may be wanting to circumcise the church? I'm not trying to be gross, okay? That's not my point. But there's a cutting away of something because God doesn't want what was in before all this to come into what he wants to do today. And I want to challenge you this morning in that this is we need to start looking at pain and frustration and hurt in a brand new way. That God is wanting to use it to bring us up. He's wanting to use it to develop the faith, the kind of resilience on the inside of us that we won't cave at anything. That we won't bend and we won't break because we recognize that God will outlast any season that we're going through. But if we're too easy to give up, if we're too easy to quit because we can't take the pain, we don't want that kind of pain in our life. We don't want that kind of problem in our life. Well, Phil, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what I've lost. No, I understand this, that we have a choice. That we have a choice. We can lay down under it. And do you know that many, many people who have been married for many years and their spouse, spouse passes away, there's one of two things that's going to happen. The spouse is either going to live like, like Iru Doherty, who we used to work for and love, 96 years old. Is she 96? Somewhere around the 96, 97 years old. Still going into the office every day at the church. Living for God. Her husband passed away years prior to that. She, she was ignited with a new purpose in her life. That she had something worth living for. Or I've seen it the other way. Where the person no longer can live with purpose. Because they miss their spouse so much. They wind up going home to be with the Lord. As well. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Several of you are widows in here. And I tell you, my heart rejoices in the widows in this room because you ladies are living with passion and purpose and destiny. And you know that God has a plan. And you've taken the pain of what happened and you've said, you know what? This is going to be the wind that I choose to let it 
boost me up over the storm of life. Man, would you stand up with me this morning? I want to pray for you. I just felt like this was such a timely word. I mean, obviously, it's been burning in my heart all week long as I've been, you know, just praying and seeking God about what what God had for us in this season because this is the oddest season that any, any person has ever lived. Any of us in this generation have ever lived. We've never seen anything so wild. And I, I don't want to get into debates about it or, or try and define what it is or what's wrong with it, what's right with it, what's different about it. That, that's not the point. But the point is this. In this message is, are you going to allow God to outlast the season for you? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.